Happy holidays, everybody, and welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me this week, not from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, but the sprawling suburban that is known as Langford, British Columbia, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good, going good. It was funny. The coat that I came to the island, sorry, came to the airport to was not appropriate when I left the airport because I left Calgary. It was, uh, I want to say about negative 20. Okay. And then we got here and it's like plus five. So I was like, I'm going to need a letter coat. (laughs) Even like a few years ago when I came out to Ottawa, it was minus 20 outside. I get to Victoria and it's zero and I'm in a t-shirt. My dad's like, son, why aren't you wearing a coat? It's like, Dad, I came from a place that's minus 30 right now. I think I'll be okay. Yeah, pretty much. It's just like, this This isn't cold. Well, like, I was going to the Y uh, when we got back, and uh, Chelsea and I were just wearing our gym clothes because it was only, like, a few minutes, and uh, Chelsea's dad's like, all oh, the Albertans are <laughs> ready for uh, cold. I'm like, no, it's just not very far and not very cold. <laughs> it is true, man. You Albertans, I tell you, you're a different breed for sure. So, Tim. Very excited to get together to today's episode because we've got some games to talk about. We got top of the hour, holiday stuff we got to talk about. But first of all, we got to introduce our guest co-host for this episode. Our guest today is joining us from our nation's capital of Ottawa, Ontario. The man who is Sen's Twitter's favorite pun master, Mr. James Wood. James, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Really good. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for uh, putting up with me reporting out of a closet today. Um, <laughs> But other than uh, other than being in here and uh, and kind of chilly outside, it's quite good. Quite good. Happy That's to awesome. be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on. One because you know I've been a fan of what you've been doing on Twitter with your puns and all that stuff. Because I think everybody can admit that's a lot of fun that what you're doing, especially with how sense Twitter can be at times. I think that just you bring in that kind of positivity with the puns is really fun. So very excited to have you on the show, and we're also very excited to have you on the show because. We got to talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is season five, episode 10 in chronological order, episode 105, the Christoph Schubert edition of the third line plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background about Christoph Schubert. He was drafted 127th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2001. He spent parts of four seasons with the Ottawa Senators, recording 23 goals, 42 assists for 65 points in 268 games before being claimed off waivers by the Atlanta Thrashers in 2000. And nine. So, James, when it comes to the show, talking about the cover athlete polls and the cover athletes themselves, generally we always talk about when it comes to players. The thing about some of the players is that, you know, you kind of struggle to find words that really say about them, or you come up with a lot of stuff to talk about. But one thing for me, I come up more, more than often now when it comes to some of these players, is I usually say that this is a player that I remember from the EA Sports hockey games but not as a player. When it comes to Christoph Schubert, what is your honest thoughts on his tenure as an Ottawa senator? So it, it was one of those, or he is one of those, not it. Uh, he, <laughs> he was one of those guys that I feel like was a big part of the team, despite only contributing those points that you listed off, mm-hmm. right? Like he was part of the team going to the cup final in 2007, right? Immortalized forever in the words of Belly, in two Go Sans Go songs. I actually had to look those lyrics up today, but the uh, the first one there was, um, where is it? 
my homie Shubes balling like my homie Comrie. That was in the that was in the first one, I know. And then uh, the second one, the the Redux, when we made it to the finals, my flow versatile like Schubert or Mez or Corvo, and uh, that kind of sums it up. He wasn't a big he wasn't a big contributor to the score sheet, but he was always part of the of the you know the big dominant teams 06, 07. Um, unfortunately, I guess the beginning of the 07, 08 season. But yeah, um, I I always liked him. This was obviously before social media and stuff. Uh, I think we would have been generally positive on him on Twitter if he were around now or if we were around then. For sure. And yeah. it's funny because even with today with social media, Twitter being the way it is, it would be very interesting to see what it would have been like in 2006, 2007, when the Sens were so good and we went to the finals and everybody was so excited. I would imagine it was kind of like, not kind of what it was like in 2017 with that playoff run, but I think it was more of a, yeah, we knew how good we were. We knew we were going to go far and it was just a matter of, can we get over them to go to the finals? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Shuby's funny because uh, a lot, I always forget that there was games where they're just like, you know what? You're a forward now. And that was just a, it was a thing that happened. And uh, despite, yeah, not being your quintessential third pairing defenseman or fourth liner at the time, he did what was asked for him, and it was actually kind of cool seeing him reward with that by playing in the Tur- the Turin Olympics in 2006 with Team Germany. Well, it's funny. Eh? Even nowadays with Tim Stutzel playing on the Sens, and everybody says, oh, yeah, it's amazing. We have this great German player. But a lot of people tend to forget that Christoph Schubert, and I'm sure our listeners or somebody other can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was the first German on the Ottawa Senators, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, probably. So, Tim, it's, me- it's funny that you mentioned that Christoph Schubert played as a forward as well as a defenseman because when I put up the cover athlete on Twitter for Christoph Schubert, I asked our listeners, does anybody have any memories regarding his time in Ottawa? And our good friend Joseph, he left a comment, and I got to read this because, honestly, I don't know if I'm a terrible person, but I kind of chuckled when I read this. So oh, this comes God. from at JD underscore Hockey Talks. He says, I had to have him physically removed from a bar I was promoting for. He was drunk and crying, literally, to the bartender about being used as a D and a forward. That's a thing. That is now a thing that I know. And I'm just like, I I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about that, <laughs> man. Jeez. I can't even imagine because Christoph Schubert, I think he's like 6'2 or 6'3. Can you imagine this tall German ginger guy and he's just crying to the bartender? about his positioning in the NHL. It's like, that would have been something to see. Yeah, after a few drinks. Yeah. <laughs> Feel bad for the guy. I, I mean, I felt bad, but I kind of chuckled because I'm a terrible person at times. So we've got to plug next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is season five, episode 11, in chronological order, episode 106. Now, we got some big names on the board, guys. Now, we've got Wade Redden, Bobby Ryan, and Mr. Ubergate himself, Chris Weidman. Good crop. Yeah, good crop. And there'll definitely be a lot to talk about, eh? Absolutely. And I had a look at the poll before we hit record, and currently Wade Redden is leading it. So it's going to be nice. good. Red's one of those guys that, honestly, as Sens fans, we can pretty much talk all day about him, especially because he was involved in probably the most, the first significant trade the Sens ever made. But we will save that for next week's episode. 
So James, again, I'm very excited to have you on the program, not only because of what you've been doing on Twitter and you're joining us to be a cover athlete, but we've got to do a little bit of a getting to know you because I think people on social media, they kind of get this idea that, you know, you're a pun master. I, I say pun master, but you're definitely the master of puns. And you seem to be a very positive guy on social media, but we got to get to know you a little bit better. And a question I always love asking, whether somebody is doing it for our season preview show or somebody new that we're working with, I got to ask James, how did you become a fan of the Ottawa Senators? Sure. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that would uh, disagree with pun master. Uh, You're being very kind. I appreciate it. And uh, it's, I think we're pretty great in that, a lot of there's a lot of it on there i'm by no means the only one um, so thanks for being so so complimentary there being a becoming a sense fan well i was i'm an 88 baby so for the first several years of my life i had to be uh, not that i was that into hockey but i had to be a montreal canadians fan because both of my parents were born in montreal and lived there and moved out of montreal to have me so you know i can remember has pennants up on my wall right next to the Jays pennants up on my wall and you know I can't I can't complain about that I never went to a Habs game so at least there's that but it really came down to the I mean the early years of the team they were still playing at the Civic Center here in Ottawa and uh, I remember my dad coming home after work and he was uh, he's going to take my mom out to a game against Pittsburgh and I remember throwing a tantrum that uh, I really wanted to go to the game and it worked surprisingly. And so, the, yeah, my first game was, I think it was in 1994. I, th- I think that would be right. Um, so it would have been five turning six that fall. And uh, it was against Pittsburgh. And I remember, you know, I remember some blood on the ice. Somebody caught a stick up high or something, but there was a fairly large pool of blood and I mean, this is going way back, so I can't say for sure. And from that point on, I was a hardcore Sens fan, but I, I was a Sens fan. You know, I, I loved going to games from that point on. So it's it's that much of a story. I got upset at that, and, and, and <laughs> mom, mom felt bad for me. So there it is. Awesome. Yeah, because I lo- like I said, I love hearing how fans become fans of a certain team that they cheer for. Now, given that you said you watched the Pens in 94, was that year that Mari Lemieux sat out or was that the year previous? I mean, I have the memory of seeing him and my dad pointing him out. So okay. I, that might be BS, um, but I, I, I'm fairly sure it wasn't that year. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because I remember, I think it was the lockout year of 95. I think Mario set out because he was hurt. I think he looked like 22 games or something the year previous. So... When talking about you becoming a Sens fan, and you said that you grew up with parents being Habs fans, did they ever try to persuade you to be a Habs fan, or was it more of you seeing your first game and then you just continued on being a Sens fan once the team got really good? Oh, yeah, for sure. So my mom doesn't have uh, super, super fond memories of of her time in Montreal, so she actively hates the Habs now. So, um, So that's good. Dad's still a little bit more of a Habs fan. He has a bunch of Habs gear. But he's also a Sens fan, so like I bought him a, a, a the you know the SNES jersey with Kovalev on the back nice. as a gift because he was a, a prominent hub before, right? Mm-hmm. Before, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was. Yeah. A, yeah, yeah. He was a captain in Montreal too, for sure. 
yeah so you know he'll he'll go to a he'll go to a sens hobbs game wearing a, a hobbs hat and a sens jersey and i i i don't like it i don't like it but at least he's got the sens jersey on we're making progress yeah absolutely yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I imagine the playoff years of 13 to 15, that must have been awkward for your dad being both a Habs and a Sense fan. It's like, who do I cheer for out of these two? Yeah, he was um, happy with any result, I guess. You make the March Simpson bet. <laughs> What's that? I hope everybody has fun. Oh, yes. Okay, sorry. Although, yeah, I, although I must saying. admit, given that you're, you said your dad's a Habs and a Sens fan, I bet the years where Boston beat Toronto, he must have been just so overjoyed by that. The fact that the Leafs <laughs> got knocked out by one of the teams. Yeah, so he's definitely anti-Leafs. But I don't want to exaggerate. He's not a, he's not tuning into every game religiously. He's he's less of a of a hardcore fan than me. Um, okay. But yeah, definitely, definitely happy to see the rivals lose for yeah. sure. We well, is he is that. he more of a casual fan or is he more kind of just in the middle? Nowadays, yeah, uh, yeah, he's more casual now. He's going to he's going to bed before you know before the first period's over often. Oof. Yeah, I know. Getting he's getting older too. See, I can understand if like the Sens are coming out west and playing games at like 10, 10 30 at night Eastern time. But mm-hmm. yeah, when you're going to bed after the first period, and I mean, in fairness, the Sens would end up be down a couple of goals. It's like, yeah, screw it. I'll watch it on TSN tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. So now that we talked about how you became a Sens fan, and obviously we were just talking, I was just talking about how your presence on social media is very much about puns. And I always say pun master. I know you've been very complimentary about that, but I got to talk about your presence on Twitter, because again, like I said, since Twitter at times could be a four letter word, it could be just such a pool of negativity and there's always constant drama, whether it be from users or the media or whatever, when it comes to your Twitter account, like, was that something that you went in with the mindset of, if it's just, okay, there's so much negativity, it's time to bring some more positivity to this. Uh, Well, I, I do have to admit that I am quite negative. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Um, sometimes my uh, I can't put it aside, right? I, I try to look at things, I try to look at things positively, but you know, I'm also joining in on the, the cynicism too, right? Like, uh, embracing the sicko. And um, I think everybody did that though, yeah. I just, I just don't want to, I just don't want to let you. Oh boy, I was gonna say accuse me, because that's not the right word. I have to be honest with myself and and you that you know there are times where I'm absolutely negative and I've been accused of that. And often, you know, I'll I'll shut it down for the day and I'll be like, ooh, that wasn't that wasn't great. So particularly with the Brady Kachuk signing drama, I was being pretty down about that. And then, you know, the day he signed, I locked out and I said, you know, I'm gonna try something different today. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna believe we're gonna get it done, and it did. Um, you know, so definitely times of negativity, but it's more fun to be. It's more fun to be positive. Absolutely, so, and the reason why I bring this up, James, is because again, like when I see your tweets on Twitter, it's that it's always. Obviously, the puns are very, very much a thing, but it, I definitely see a more of a positivity more than anything. And yeah, at times I do see a bit of a negative side, but it's not so overwhelming that it's like, wow, this guy's such a negative dude. But on Twitter, it just seems like you have a pretty, I don't want to say fun loving, but a pretty positive outlook anyway on some of your tweets. 
Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. And that's kind of why I, I, I love puns, even in my real life. It's something that my family and I have had. Um, and so it's hard to be completely negative when the majority of my tweets are, well, maybe not the majority, but at least a, a significant percentage of them are jokes. Mm -hmm. Right, like at the at the end of the day, you can't be too accused of negativity if I tweeted it for a laugh. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yeah. Watch as some of our listeners are calling us out, be like, "What are you guys talking about? He's always negative." I'm like, no. "Yeah, I'm expecting that." I know. So, what you're saying when it comes to puns is that you're approving of this episode's title being a very third line pun Christmas. Yes, I will approve of any pun of uh, any quality of any genre any theme that's part of you have to embrace all that's that's my philosophy there's no judgment a pun is a pun you have to laugh at them even if they're bad because bad puns are good puns absolutely <laughs> so we're going to quickly segue away from getting to know you a bit more because it's the holiday season you guys i feel that we should talk a little bit about christmas now, one thing that comes to Christmas is there's always memories that people always have attached to the holidays, whether it be, say, family traditions or favorite moments. Now, when it comes to Christmas, like, what's the first thing that comes to your guys' mind when it comes to holiday memories? Probably the food. Oh, uh, the food's so because, good. Yeah, my mom makes a massive spread, uh, lots, lots of different types of cookies, big turkey, and then we'll also have a Boxing Day party uh, with a bunch of fun little finger foods as well. And it's just, yeah, I guess it's the kind of the smells and tastes of Christmas or what always kind of bring me back. And it's very, it's just nice to be able to pause, just appreciate kind of the more simple sense stuff and just be in the moment, you know? 100%. Yeah. I think that's something even for me when it comes to, as you're talking about food, like definitely, those kind of things is not something that you appreciate when you're younger. It's definitely when you get a bit older and you look back on it and you're like more so than maybe gifts or something like that, but it's always those kind of like very small moments that you're just like, yeah, that's what I really associate with holidays. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's uh, pretty basic actually. Yeah. I mean, Tim kind of pointed it out. It's just the, the simple things, you know, gathering. I'm not a religious guy. So, you know, Christmas isn't about, uh, isn't about a religion for me. It's seeing the families and, uh, my parents got divorced pretty young. So that always meant two Christmases for me. Um, and now I'm married and that means in-laws. So that's three. And, uh, it sounds nice. And it, it, there's an element of it that is absolutely seeing all the families, but three days kind of nonstop is, is a lot. Sometimes it's, sometimes you just have to quit cold turkey. Very much so. And I think for myself, when it comes to... Wait, you have to quit Christmas cold turkey. Yeah. I'm on to you. You got it. <laughs> uh, good Lord. Good Lord. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think for myself, I mean, I came from a divorced family myself, so I kind of get that too, right? And I think for me, Christmas was one of those things because, again, you definitely get to see a lot of the families. But one of my favorite moments when it comes to the holidays is that I've got three older cousins. And so we would go to my aunt's place on Christmas day, have dinner. And we'd be sitting in the living room and maybe about half an hour, 45 minutes. Wait, by the time we get there, we're all sitting in the living room. My cousin looks over to me. He gives me the hand gesture of downstairs video games. And I'm like, yes. 
So we would go downstairs and play, you know, from GoldenEye, Mario Party, Mario Kart, whatever it would be downstairs. And there, that's what we would be for the next couple of hours until we we're getting called for dinner. And I think for me, given that, again, my cousins are now older, they've married, got kids, got their own stuff going on. That's one of the things I always look back on. And it's funny because when I see my cousins now, we always look back and talk about that. We're like, yeah, that's some of the moments that we really, really appreciated now that we're a bunch older. Best. It really is the best. Now, another thing that's really the best for me, and it's funny because I was at work last night doing a part, uh, doing a staff function. And one of the things that I was talking about with some of my coworkers was that the last week of work has been one of these things where I really came to appreciate when I was younger. Do you guys remember the last couple of days of school where the teachers basically threw their hands in the air, gave up and just said, all right, well, we're not going to study. You're just going to watch a couple of movies and we're going to call it a Christmas break. Honestly, I remember our teachers sometimes wouldn't even do that. And it would just be, uh, hey, just talk amongst yourselves, whatever. Actually, I, I definitely remember middle school where uh, the PTA and uh, the church, because we both went to a Catholic school, would put on a massive turkey dinner for the whole school. So they're making turkeys for, we had about 400 kids at the school because it went from K to nine. And yeah, I remember that a lot because it was always fun. Just like you get all your you get to have Christmas dinner with your school buddies. Like what, what more fun is that? Right. And I remember like school day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then like the rest of the day would just be kind of a wash because like the teachers would also be helping the PTA out. And I just remember one year, like we're probably, I think we're dicking around playing Mario Kart (laughs) in the classroom. The teacher's like, you know what? I'd say you guys should just be social, but clear but you clearly are racing against each other. I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> was that ninth grade? That'd be ninth yeah, grade. Yeah, I was going to say, that's ninth grade. I remember that. Yeah, because I remember our teacher, he brought in, like, I think his kid came with him, and it was just, like, chips, candy, pop, everything. He just brought it in, put it on a table at 30 in the morning. He's like, there you go, guys. Go nuts. Oh, and he'd have his annual, can I beat the kids at risk game? Yes. Oh, my God. I remember that. I always learned very quickly that if you take over India – and basically, you're the one that controls everything at that point. Actually, it was really funny because I remember, like, when he brought in his daughter. His daughter is half Japanese. He met his wife over in, uh, I want to say, Niigata. But they were watching a cartoon. And, like, years later, when I was traveling with my wife, I kind of put two and two together. It's like, oh, they were watching on Panmon. So I, like, finally figured out that his daughter was watching on the TV. Which, at on Panmon is basically a, a very famous uh, kid show over there about a superhero who's styled after bean bread and uh, his girlfriend is melon bread. <laughs> Jesus. So it's just one of those very funny things that's just like, Oh, that's a weird, weird way to connect a memory. <laughs> Wasn't he playing soccer or something like pro soccer in Japan? Uh, I, I think there was like something about soccer. You might've, I think he might've also been doing a, like teaching English over there at the same time. Mm-hmm. So he was probably doing, because there was something about soccer and something about teaching is what I remember. Is this the teacher you're talking about or the bread man? The teacher. Why not okay. though? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> no, I remember that teacher. No, he was cool, man. So James, I guess when it comes to last couple of days of school, like what were some of your memories growing up in Ottawa? Ooh, that's that same stuff, right? The last couple of days, movie time. Um, certainly some, all the holiday classics, Rudolph. Frosty the Snowman, 
uh, any version of the Christmas Carol you want, pick your pick, whether it's the cartoon one or the Michael Caine one, Muppets. That is the Michael Caine one, isn't it? Yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he was Scrooge, he was Scrooge in the Muppet ones. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm a teacher. Um, so it's kind of up to me to, to decide whether or not I'm going to let the last couple of days before the holiday be fun. And uh, the nature of my school, I'm at a small international boarding school, so they often have to travel. They're not usually finishing the last day um, because they leave earlier to get a train or a plane or whatever. Um, so, I mean, this this week, this Friday, I had a, I taught a class. Sorry, I was that guy. I actually made them learn something. Um, but yeah, I mean, now I'll, I'll let them use, use the period how they want. I'll put a show on that they like or... Um, or a film we've done school we've done a school dinner on the day before school lunch on the day they've left before but yeah as a kid how can you not love the week before christmas it's like an extra week of holiday right so good yeah hey yeah at least you were teaching them something not putting a test on the last day yeah like i had colleagues that did yeah old yeah. bastards yeah <laughs> math too <Yes. laughs> the worst it is the worst man it really is the worst now just to close out our talk about christmas now of course when it comes to social media one of the things over the last several years has really become an argument die hard being a christmas movie now like i'm not we're not going to get into whether die hard's a christmas movie there's so much debate but i will maintain and i will die on the hill lethal weapon is a christmas movie especially the first one sorry i've never seen lethal weapon what you've never seen the original lethal weapon no you disappoint me, man. Disappointing. I I can't get behind you at Die Hard. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I almost feel like at this point it's a bit. You know, it's become one of those things where you're you're a Die Hard at Christmas guy or or not or or not guy. Yeah. Trying to be a little bit more inclusive. Well, um, go ahead. I think the bit's dead, to be honest, because uh, I was on an Air Canada flight two years ago now and they had holiday movies and the first movie was die hard if the freaking plane is calling die hard a movie the joke's dead that's a good point yeah honestly i don't i don't really care i mean die hard i kind of get people's kind of argument for both but for me i don't know i always end up watching lethal weapon at christmas just because a i really like the original lethal weapon i think it's a really good movie but yeah, I will maintain. I think it's more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard because honestly, yeah, Die Hard was based at Christmas, but for most of the movie, it's not really about it. Exactly. Where Lethal Weapon kind of is in the same way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The setting, you know, where and when are kind of important, but if they don't even reference the holiday in the movie, then sorry. 100%. So guys, you know, I could sit here all day and talking about the holidays and whether lethal weapons a Christmas movie, but it's that time of the episode where we got a segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Ah, oh, good stuff, good stuff. So, given that it is the holiday season, I didn't really want to talk about COVID, but unfortunately, with the NHL, what's going on with them. We're going to kick off top of the hour by talking about a couple of COVID stories, and then we're going to move on from there. The province of Ontario has announced tentative, or sorry, tenure capacity will be restricted to 50% due to the Omicron COVID variant, which came into effect on December 18th. 
both the Maple Leafs and Senators will comply with provincial restrictions. So James, I know that you are based out of Ontario yourself. I'm going to let you take the floor with this one right out of the gate. Like where do you stand on this whole thing with the Sens and the Leafs going to half capacity? It sucks, but we got to do it. I mean, it, it's really that simple. I tweeted about it a little earlier in the week that, you know, there's a sad irony that we had to go through three or four games with an obliterated roster and, and continue on. And now teams are playing with a couple guys out. The situation has changed. It was that quick, you know. Um, December 18th is not November 5th. The, uh, the COVID situation has changed. And even if, and the experts are still very divided on it, even if it is a more milder variant, um, it's not worth, it's not worth getting, getting people to watch a sport, in my opinion. No, it's not, especially now with more teams than just the Ottawa Senators are being hit with this. Obviously, the Boston Bruins and the National Predators have shut down for the holiday season. But I know a lot of people on Twitter were talking about the fact that the league finally, or I guess the province and the league are doing something about it because the two of the Leaf players went into protocol. And there's always this backlash. And, of course, anything related with the Leafs are always <laughs> going to talk about, oh, yeah, because the, it happened to the Leafs. The Leaf League has to s- do something. But I just find it funny that the Sens had 10 players or sorry, 10 people in protocol, whether it be coaches and players, didn't shut down. We kept playing, and yet other teams started getting And they're like, okay, well, your game's postponed, your game's postponed, this game's postponed, and yet the Sens fans are like, we had 10 of them. Why are, why are, why are we the exception? Yeah. Well, Again. it's funny because it's – imagine being a Sharks fan where they had just a slight few people less – with Delta version of COVID and they got nothing. So like the sharks went through the same damn thing and played through all their games. So it's tough because it's, we got to a place where the NHL, like the senators really were the place where the NHL was like, okay, we got to do something. And what's funny about Omicron is there's a very real possibility that we end up with uh, results like South Africa. So in two weeks we, we might just realize, okay, we were, we were over prudent, but we will see what time. Yeah. Now we're going to close off our COVID talk with the NHL and NHLPA have announced new enhanced COVID-19 measures that will be in place through the holiday season and be reevaluated prior to January 7th. Now, obviously I got tickets to see the Sens play the Canucks. I know the Canucks have gone to half capacity. Cross my fingers. I can still go to that, but you know, that means to be said. Now we got to give a quick shout out to former Dallas Stars goaltender Ben Bishop, who has announced his retirement at the age of 35. Bishop, drafted 85th overall by the St. Louis Blues in 2005, spent parts of 11 seasons with five NHL teams, the St. Louis Blues, Ottawa Senators, Tampa Bay Lightning, Los Angeles Kings, and the Dallas Stars, recording a 222-128-36 and 36 record with a .921 save percentage while leading the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2015 and helped Dallas make the Stanley Cup Finals in 2020. So Ben Bishop, he's an interesting guy because, again, when I was looking at those numbers, I didn't realize, like, that's pretty low because Bishop's been in the NHL for so long, I would have thought his numbers would have been higher. But at times, again, he was a backup in L.A. with Jonathan Quick, and I do remember him in Tampa, Dallas, but his tenure at Ottawa, this is where I really want to talk because you've got to realize at one time we had Robin Leonard, Ben Bishop, and Craig Anderson on our roster. 
And honestly, I don't know how you guys felt, but I remember watching Bishop and I was just never sold on him in Ottawa. This, this is one of those tough ones, right? Because they were both, they both turned into goalies probably better than we expected them to be if they were to stay in the system. I, I think we have to be fair with that. I don't think that uh, if you were to pull the majority of sense fans, they, they would have said, oh, yeah, Ben Bishop is going to finish his career with a 0.921, which is higher than league average, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think expectation was that he'd be good, he'd be solid. And we were so, so loaded up, right? Craig Anderson sort of at his peak, and then Bishop and Laner, we couldn't keep them all. Um, I mean, I was I was always on team Laner, but I didn't think the trade was great to lose Bishop. And then we lost Laner anyway. So he's he's one of those ones, you know, one of those situations where, okay, yeah, we had to make a move, but then we lost them all anyway. I you know, I would have liked to have to have kept them. I think the Craig Anderson and Ben Bishop tandem would have been pretty unreal. Yeah, but I mean, sad to see him go. It would have been cool to see a few more years out of him. But he doesn't get a cup outside of Ottawa, so that's that's good. We we feel a bit better on that one. And yeah. uh, no, he's had an incredible career and has uh, uplifted a lot of teams. It's a shame that we never Corey, Con- Corey Conacher never really worked out in Ottawa. But it's how it goes, right? You couldn't have foreseen Ben Bishop taking off the way he did. No, but even with Robin Leonard, because Leonard was always a bit of a wild card of, is he going to be good? Is he not going to be good? Because of just how unpredictable he really was. And of course, later years later, we found out what's going on with him being bipolar and everything off the ice. But yeah, Ben Bishop, pretty good career. I think the one thing that really stuck with me was that he just, he couldn't stay healthy. And that's more of a thing of how just how big he was because the guy was I guess can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's what six seven on his bare feet. Like he's a right. big guy. So of course, bigger guys like that, they're prone to get injured more often than not. We see that more in the NBA, of course, with some of their players. But Ben Bishop, good career. Yeah. Lefted the team to the Stanley Cup final. So you can't take that away from him. Now, our next story, this one really came out of nowhere, and this really shocked a lot of people. Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice resigned from his position after parts of nine seasons. Maurice, who was hired as Jets head coach in January of 2014, had recorded a 315, 224, and 64 regular season record and a 1623 playoff record. Former LA Kings assistant head coach Dave Laurie was named interim head coach. And fun fact, he's also the former head coach of the Victoria Royals. So nice. for him. So let's talk about Paul Maurice because this is a guy who I'm not going to go on record and say he's the best head coach in the NHL. He's a guy who got a lot out of the teams that he coached. He was with the 2002 Hurricanes that took him to Stanley Cup Finals. He was them in 2009 as the Hurricanes head coach that went almost went to the Stanley Cup Finals. He then goes to Winnipeg and takes them to the Western Conference Finals. It's just like, he's a guy who, more of a mild manner, quiet kind of guy. He's not like a John Tortorella, one of these guys who's just yelling and screaming at the players all the time. But he's a guy who got so much out of his players and he did the complete opposite of what guys like Torrance and Claude, Claude Julien would have done. Liked them a lot better after he left Toronto. Yeah, that on record. But yeah, agreed. Good coach. And uh, this is something we don't see, right? Like we don't see a coach. They're not even doing that terribly. 
they're not doing terribly. Right? I think they're, they're just above 500 right now. Yeah, so they have a they have a winning record, and um, you know he's just dipping. It's it's kind of fascinating. I saw somebody point out that uh, it's a little bit silly that he would go out saying they need a new voice, and it's his assistant coach that's going to be taking over. That's not much of a different voice, but if you know you're done, you know leave on your own terms. There's nothing wrong with that. You got to respect him for that. He'll land somewhere else. I wonder what it's like in that room right now. Just like. Yeah, dad walked out. Yeah. He's getting milk. He, he went to get a pack of cigarettes and he's not, and then he told us he's not coming back. Like it's, the psychology of this has got to be fascinating. And like, if you just do an event study afterwards and kind of watch if the team's negatively impacted by this instead of the usual new couch bump, it would be fascinating to see, okay, if the team wasn't really affected by this, then yeah, Paul Maurice knew he was done and it's okay for him to walk away. But if the team takes a hit after this, it's like, did he psychologically impact the team by just kind of walking out? And that's kind of where I am right now. I was like, what's the actual impact of this going to be other than the new coach, uh, new coach's uh, system being implemented? That's true. I think for me, you got to really respect Paul Maurice in this situation, because again, you see a lot of head coaches, they very much well overstay their welcome in the team. They try to, and we saw it with the Ottawa centers over the last several head coaches where they have a really good run. And then right as they're going to get fired, you see the lineup blender, you see everything just getting thrown at the wall, see what sticks. And Paul Maurice is one of these guys who that is so out of the norm where you just basically say, I'm done. Like I can't get any more out of this team. And that's a really funny thing to look at because again, a lot of coaches have this kind of ego that I can turn this around. I could really do great. And here's Paul Maurice who's there for nine seasons. And he just says, you know what? I'm done. It's time for a change. You have, that's where I really have to respect Paul Maurice in this situation was that he didn't just throw his hands and say, fuck it. I'm done. He just says, you know what? I can't do it anymore. It's over. Yeah. Agreed. Now I wonder if, you know, I already saw people talking about where is he going to go? Could he be the Ottawa Senators' next head coach? And no, um, because he probably demands too much money. Um, but I wonder if this means that he's not interested in coaching in general, or or just just getting out of this game, or, or game. Sorry, this team, or maybe it's COVID related, and he doesn't want to deal with this nonsense for the next several months. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. Yeah, or maybe he is just, this is it. He's retiring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be a really interesting way to go out because a lot of guys would wait until the end of the season. But if Paul Maurice feels that it's time to go, then, you know, you got to respect him for knowing when it's time to leave. Definitely. Well, it's very funny because it's kind of different than, uh, like, actually, Tay, did, did this come out live uh, during the – Oh, why am I the Craig Medaglia interview about the advice that he got from Dave Cameron? Yes. That went live. Okay. So basically Dave Cameron just straight up said, yeah, every job has a time limit and you got to know when you're getting to it. And it's funny that like Dave Cameron as a coach got fired and maybe Paul Maurice has a similar mindset. He's just like, you know what? Now's the time. Well, I think it's interesting because he's, because Craig Medaglia said on the show that he went up to, congrats dave cameron on the uh, was a contract extension or whatever it was in cameron yeah. he goes you know what i'm just one day closer to getting fired that's, that's it says a lot right but 
Yeah. You know, but good on Paul Maurice. I believe me, if the Senators had a chance to get him as a head coach, I think he, I think he would be a really good fit for the Sens because honestly, you have a guy like Brady as head as the captain who's a very much he'll drag this team kicking and screaming and here's paul maurice who'll pretty much be like okay brady i think you're going a little bit over the top you need to kind of pull back a bit it could be a really good counterbalance because i i don't know how you guys feel i don't think dj smith is a counterbalance to brady i think he's like yeah go for it do what you do out there man and paul maurice could be a counterbalance i'd be like okay i see what you're trying to do here but i think you should try and rein it in a bit more yeah certainly matching styles eh He's yeah. a hard-nosed coach, so. Sure. Yeah. Minnesota Wild GM, Bill Guerin, has been named GM of the 2022 U.S. Olympic men's ice hockey team. New York Rangers president and general manager, Chris Drury, has been named assistant GM. Assuming before, they go. Assuming they go. <laughs> now, quickly, I want to ask, did either of you guys see the pictures that came out? I think it was for the U.S. development team with their 25th anniversary jersey look. No, I didn't. Nope. Yeah. Okay. If you've had a look at, I think it was the ones that are very similar to the ones that were at the 96 World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. They didn't look too bad, actually. It looks a little dated, but for me, I didn't think it looked so bad. But honestly, I think Bill Guerin's going to be a really good GM for the US team. But I think it's really funny because I was just reading this and I'm like, Bill Guerin and Chris Drury, two guys who were stars in the NHL. And now they're managerial roles. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that players that I grew up watching are now in managerial roles in the NHL. Yeah, it makes us feel old, eh? Yeah. Um, I think there's a there's a bigger problem though, and that is the there they are just allegations at the moment, but mm-hmm. the whole covering up of the sexual assault of his uh what was it, assistant coach's wife when he was with Pittsburgh, right? Oh. Bill Guerin. I didn't know anything about this. Yeah, so there was there was accusations that one of the coaches, um, I don't know the extent, unfortunately, but sexually assaulted the, the wife of, of another coach. And oh, yeah, and uh, Garen sort of tried to, to hide that. And that those accusations have been brought up to what's it called? Safe Sport. That's the U.S. body that, that checks it. And they're investigating now. And so oh. you know, that... I think that's okay. one of the more controversial things is that you don't really want that kind of that kind of negativity. It kind of let's leave aside the accusations are horrible, and and I'm not trying to minimize those. So from a purely hockey standpoint, it's a, it would be sounds good, but from a purely hockey standpoint, you want the discussion to be about the team if they go, the players if they go, the decisions if they go and not the the cloud that's hovering over the guy putting the team together. Um, so hopefully that gets resolved and hopefully you know, or not the Olympics go ahead, but yeah. Yeah. Controversial. Absolutely. Now, speaking of controversial, we got to move on to our next story. Now, of course, this NHL season has been clouded with the whole lawsuit and everything going with the Chicago Blackhawks and Kyle beach. And We've got to talk about the story real quick because the Chicago Blackhawks have reached a confidential settlement with former first round pick Kyle Beach. Beach filed a lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks in May of 2021, alleging sexual assault during the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs by former team video coach Brad Aldrich. That's something that you bet you watch this, given that this is now a thing. 
everything's going to be swept under the rug in about three, four years. People are not really going to talk about this. And I've said this on the show when it came to Joel Quinville and Stan Bowman. You watch these guys again. They'll be back in the NHL because it's an old boys club. But again, mm-hmm. I think that's just something that I'm not surprised that this, a settlement got done between the two parties because again, you, the Chicago Blackhawks want to move on from this and I, I'm not going to sit here and say Kyle Beach wants to get paid out of this, but both sides want to try and move forward with this. And honestly, I'm not shocked that this even happened. Yeah. And it's settlement agreements are typically confidential. So we'll never know what actually happened. And I no one is going to talk about this in public because I'm like the beaches, Cal beaches camp just wants to move on from this and the Blackhawks don't want any more embarrassment. So yeah, we're never going to hear about what the actual settlement was. No, I mean, the, the positive here is that there is one Yeah, because remember, I, I remember hearing about the team fighting and appealing and, and stonewalling and trying to do everything they could to not, take any responsibility. So the fact that he's getting some money and hopefully that helps him out, you know, hopefully that helps make him whole. I agree with you, Taylor, that I don't think he's in this for the money, but you know, this is something he would have to agree to as well. So if, if this is what he needs to, uh, to be able to live his life and, and start the process of, of getting over this, then I think we can applaud that. I think we can applaud the the minimal, like this is the minimum, right? Settling with a player, it's the minimum the team can do. We shouldn't give them credit for doing the minimum, but they were arguing against the minimum before. So I'm I'm willing to give them a little bit of that credit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the one comment I do want to make about this whole situation is that one of my neighbors, he just lives up the road here for me, and his brother... I don't think, I don't think he was a head coach, but he was on the coaching staff at the university of Minnesota Duluth. And this is where they had Norm McIver, former Sens defenseman, but also worked with the Blackhawks during that time. And he was telling me, he says, this whole thing with Kyle beach, this is shortly after the, all this stuff came out. It was like, I'll tell you right now, because his brother told him, he says, you know what? Everybody knew about it. This is not something that was just like, Oh, out of the nowhere, this came up. It was like, Nope. McIver knew, the team knew, everybody knew. And for years, they've just tried to bury this. And then it came to light and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah. And it's incredible that they managed to bury it for as long as they did, given that Albright was convicted with a felony. Like, he was convicted with felony sexual assault. Exactly. So we're going to move away from talking about the Chicago Blackhawks and talk about a noted NHL goon. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has reduced the police for Jason Spezza's suspension from six to four games upon appeal. Spezza was originally suspended for kneeing Winnipeg Jets, Neil Pionk. I still maintain, James, and I think it's funny that Jason Spezza got suspended six more games than Chris Neal ever did in his NHL career. Yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. I'm glad he was suspended with something. I don't really have too much of an opinion on this. I think uh, I knew that, maybe I can't say I knew, but I figured that with an appeal, something would happen. It was dropped. I mean, leaving aside the fact that it, he sort of cleared it up, like remember Austin Watson was suspended for uh, dozens of games and that was reduced. So if something as bad as that can be reduced by the commissioner, yeah. you know, 
dropping a, a clean record like Spezza a couple games down doesn't really bother me, but this league needs to deal with headshots, man. It's it's ridiculous. There shouldn't be a, a gray area, especially when it was intentional like that. It's not really sending a message you want. 100%. And I said this even last week on the show. I said, you know, that this was so stupid and so irresponsible by Jason. And I was actually really disappointed to see him do this because he's not that kind of player. No. But honestly, and I said to Tim, I said, honestly, why would he do this? Because honestly, he could have just gotten five minutes. He could have just gone after Piont, dropped the gloves, fought him. He sits in the box for five minutes and is done. Mm-hmm. Instead, you get six games because you ran your knee straight into his head while he's on the ice. Yeah. It's a predatory hit, and there's no place for that in hockey. And it's sad that these suspensions get reduced, but it, yes. it is what the NHL is. And that's kind of the biggest issue I have with the NHL. And kind of the used justification for reducing the ban, the ban was because of the lack of a permanent injury. And I, I really hate that because if you're, if you're judging for result, you're incentivizing people to take the most egregious risks because there's a chance if the guy doesn't get hurt, then it pays off. You need to be judging for intention and judging for what is being done. That's dangerous, not for the outcome. If you continue to, judge for the outcome then you're going to continue to gain continue to get shit like this even if you do get serious about headshots absolutely do you guys follow formula one at all uh, yep. i don't know a bit a bit okay so there was one race this year where the two front runners lewis hamilton and max verstappen came together on a very fast corner max verstappen went off it was a brutal crash dozens if not hundreds of g's ended up going to the hospital he was fine but there was a, a big cry for, oh, look at the damage to the car. And, you know, that was a really unsafe spot. And you you bring it up there, Tim. You know, it doesn't really matter. In that case, it's kind of the opposite because it doesn't really matter that the car was so wrecked and that it was um, nearly a hospitalization. It was because it was a thing that happens. It just happened in a bad spot. Yeah. Right? And, and yeah. Because that would normally be a safe overtake if it just didn't fluke out right no i mean they they argue about that overtakes yeah. have happened on that corner but yeah it's not an f1 podcast sorry guys just... <laughs> <laughs> oh that's all good man like we're all good for going off the rails here a bit that's what third line plug's always been based on so so we're gonna close off top of the hour by talking about a signing detroit red wings have re-signed forward robbie fabry to a three-year 12 million dollar contract with an aav of four fabry had recorded eight goals six assists for 14 points in 29 games for detroit at the time of the story i gotta hand stevie why this this is actually a really good sign because robbie fabry was a guy i know a lot of people on twitter was talking about maybe the send should go after him and all this stuff because i think I think he was either traded or put on waivers, got claimed by Detroit. But honestly, Fabry just seems like a guy who fits in very nicely in Detroit. And honestly, I think this is going to be a great signing. And just watching how Stevie Wise turning the Red Wings around, you got to give him this because this is actually a very smart signing by him. Fabry's very funny because uh, as Detroit stars start coming in, he's going to be a guy who fall, kind of falls off the first line, probably to the second, third line. And he's a perfect fit there. He's a guy who doesn't really hurt you on the five, on, like your five on five uh, fancy stats, but he's got a nice finish to him. He's definitely not your top line player, but uh, he'll be useful th- up through the lineup. 
And at four million, you can't ask for more. No, hundred percent. No, he's very much the replacement. I would say for Athen, Athen, uh, Athen, So I think this is a really good. I really want a Theosu in Ottawa, but that didn't happen. So no, honestly, I don't really have much to say about it. It's just a smart signing by Detroit, and I'm really liking how Stevie Wise running the Red Wings right now. So got to give him that. Yeah, and I'm not disappointed. He's not here. Um, I think we. You know, you just said yourself, he's not a top line guy, career 0.5 points per game. We have a lot of that, I think. I think we need to start looking for some of the top line talent. Fabry's a good player, but, you know, we have, you know, Norris when he comes back. No, Norris when he comes back. I'm sorry. Pinto when he comes back. Like we have a Robbie Fabry just with a different package, you know. That sounds that sounds worse than I meant it to. <laughs> Wouldn't be an episode of Third Line Plug if somebody doesn't say something awkward. And that's great. Especially about packages. Packages. That's yeah. true. Well, guys, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we've got three games on the schedule to talk about. We've got the Senators versus the Panthers, Senators versus the Lightning, and the Senators versus the Flyers. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, guys, let's start talking about the Senators versus the Panthers. This is an 8-2 Senators domination victory. Sens goals are scored by Josh Norris with two, Austin Watson, Dylan Gambrell, Tim Stutzla, Greg Batherson, Brady DeChuck, and Nick Paul. Panthers goals are scored by Jonathan Huberto and Sam Reinhardt. Shots were 38-35 for the senators so when it comes to game recaps usually i would have a full recap of my thoughts and some of the pros and cons i literally have four words in front of me in all caps complete and utter annihilation yes i was saying to somebody at work james you have to go back 15 years to the cash line days to watch the Ottawa Senators completely dominate a team, and not just any team, a legit playoff contender, and dominate them this badly. Yeah, it's been a every, long time. Yeah, in every category too. I mean, the like, ones that, the ones that matter. It was bizarre watching like the Stutzla line eat up the Huberto line. Yeah, Timmy's arrived. Oh, it's so good, man! And believe me, we're gonna have a lot to talk about him in these games now given that we just mentioned tim stutzel let's let's talk about him for a second one goal on four shots that goal oh it's so good and this is a comment i'm going to be keeping making all night it's just god that was so nice it was a statement goal let's put it up right there yep I mean, the effort, to get, the effort to get down there in the first place and then that patience, that's not 19-year-old patience. Nope. Oh, that wasn't the one. I was mixing up goals. Sorry. He scored two beautiful ones over the last three games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking of the uh, the delay and, and drag. Yeah, that was a hell of a shot. Sorry. Oh, that was beautiful, yeah. 100%. Um, but no. the, the fact that the grind line opened up the scoring and I was not expecting the Watson Gambrell line to just 
dominate and shut down the Florida Panthers. Their opening period and just absolute hard, hard work. And that got Austin Watson a scramble goal that you only get that if you've been oppressing an offense that wants to get out for like two minutes on end. Like the Ottawa Senators just came out and applied an ungodly amount of pressure. And then Gambrell manages to get a shorty. Yeah. It was lovely. Sorry. Yeah, that grind line was so nice. I mean, and I know the last couple of like, the last couple of games anyway, Dylan Gambrell's been a guy that's really came up big for the Sens. And he just he looks like such a solid pickup because early on it didn't look like this was gonna work. He just like, yeah, okay. He's just kind of there. But no, I really like how he's been playing. Now, of course, we gotta talk about the BNB line. Eight points total in this game. And I gotta make the statement right now. This line single-handedly broke Spencer Knight to the point where he is now in the American Hockey League. Yeah. The Senators. He got sensed. He got, got sensed. sensed. He got sensed. <laughs> yeah. That was, they were flying. I know. And, you know, for a guy like Spencer Knight, I feel so, so bad for that kid because there was nothing he could have done. Like that whole line was just, he a shot came right at him and he's just like, Oh no, this is going in. And it's funny because the Florida Panthers were healthy. The only guy they were missing was Barkov. Barkov was the only guy who wasn't in the lineup. And look at well, the this score. Is the funny thing is I left when it was 2-1 uh, to record another podcast. And that was like a two and a half hour interview. And then I look at my phone and it's like, Ottawa, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like all of a sudden Norris, Stutzla, Norris, Batherson, and then Nick Paul finally gets the goddamn monkey off his back. <laughs> oh, so. And I think the Nick Paul goals are the ones that got Spencer Knight demoted because those were not nice. No, no, it wasn't. And it's funny, I'm in the same boat because I was at work that night and I was following the game and it was like we were up 4 2 and then 5 2. And I just turned my phone off. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I come back and it's 8 2. And I'm like, I am sorry. What? I had to refresh it because I thought it was glitching on me. I was like, no, come on. This can't be. We single, we did not beat the Florida Panthers by six goals. This is not, this is not a reality. Okay, more of that, please. Absolutely. <laughs> now, a couple other plays we're going to talk about. Now, let's talk about Connor Brown. Now, he had three assists and one shot. For myself, I always think it's great to see him get on the score sheet because he's a guy who. The hardcore fans really like him. I don't think the casual fans appreciate Connor Brown as much as they should, but honestly, it's always great to see him get on the score sheet with any kind of point. Yeah, my, my feeling is the same. Joe and Nick Paul there too, getting a goal. They've been kind of quiet, right? They've been steady, I suppose, but um, the, the shine of their gold medals seems to have worn off a little bit. So it was nice to see some points. One player who didn't get on the score sheet, but I thought was fantastic was Victor Mete. Only stat I'm probably going to bring up on the night is at five on five, he had an 80% expected goals rate. And it showed Victor Mete, he had the Jets on that game. Every shift he was skating for his life, but also he seemed a lot smarter. Like it was very much, he's skating hard and gets into his position and then slows it down, keeps the pace pushes to the outside and he was doing that all night and it worked out great for him. Yeah. Strong game from him. I mean, plus three single shot, but that's not his, that's not really his role. 17 minutes. Good game from Victor. 
Yeah, him and Hetherington looked pretty good together. No, another defenseman who looked really good in this game was Thomas Shabbat, who had two assists and three shots. And I know we'll definitely talk more about this in the third game tonight or this afternoon, but he's just continued to look like just the elite defenseman that nobody is talking about. No, Kevin BX is talking about him. Yeah, mean? in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but, uh, flying. Crazy 100%. Now, the last guy, go ahead, now, the last time I want to mention here is Anton Forsberg, who had 33 saves, a .943 save percentage. I got to say, and I watched the condensed version of this, parts of the condensed version of this game, and I honestly thought he looked really good in this game against Florida. Although the Sens defense made it easy for him for once. There was only about four shots that were really from dangerous positions. Two of those went in, but the senders did a fantastic job of just pushing everyone to the sides or pushing them out. And yeah, Florida never really got a lot of good shots. They got volume, but Anton Forsberg was poised and ready to go. Yeah. I mean, the TSN the 1200 question after that game was, should we extend him? Right. Like, is that, is this the kind of guy we want to keep around? I think that's a dangerous conversation. Like he's doing really well, obviously, but I think we've been burned with, extending backups who play well and then they don't Condon. yeah hamburger Condon, hamburger yeah yeah honestly yeah i mean if it's a shorter deal i'd be fine with it but i'm not expecting like a three or four year deal no i hope not sends versus lightning this is a two to one lightning victory the lone sends goal were scored by after all these episodes, I finally get to say this. <laughs> Lightning goals were scored by Alex Carlone and Victor Hedman. Shots for 27-26 for the Lightning. A fairly even game overall. Both teams took turns getting shots and creating scoring chances. However, Tampa Bay ended up tying, then taking the lead in this game, carrying it to the W. Thomas Shabbat. One goal on four shots. I mean, that goal. That is so nice. Oh, my good Lord. I just, I had to watch that at least three times. I'm like, that was awesome. How did he get there? That's what I'm wondering. Like, the skating and then popping off that snapshot right in front of the net. Like, how did he get there? Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna NFT that I think <laughs> himself. Just that gift. It was unreal. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is Tampa Bay took the Ottawa Senators seriously. Yep. Like compared to the four nothing drubbing of Tampa Bay on Sunday, Ottawa the Tampa Bay Lightning they they played incredibly tight. They put Vasilevsky in the net and Vasilevsky played a fantastic game. Yeah. And we kept with them. That's the sort of game that I, I don't mind losing a game like that where you could see that, okay, maybe with a bit more growing and a bit more secondary talent, the Ottawa Senators are here. Yeah, certainly a better loss than some of the ones in that slide. For sure. One play, like Shabbat was, Shabbat was fantastic that game. I really didn't like the call on the head that led to the headman power play goal. 
No, refereeing, refereeing was pretty bad. I don't know how. I have never seen that called as Shabbat diving, and I think he got the puck first. I've yeah. never seen that called as a penalty in the NHL. No, no. Like that was a garbage penalty. Yeah, I can't even argue that, man. Like it was. Honestly, and it looked like I don't know. I think if he purposely because he was going straight back and he was kind of curving and he curved into him and tripped him up that way. Okay, I can see that'd be a tripping call, but when you just barely graze him and he goes down, that's not a penalty, in my opinion. No, or no. if you see him, like the I can't remember who he tripped, but you know, he he was moving in a straight line. It's like being hit by a train that's moving at you know 50 kilometers an hour and you you can look at it it's not like it's a surprise right he saw him there and he didn't change his own his own direction it's like what's the penalty here for now the only note i got on this game other than thomas shabako anton forsberg 25 saves a 0.926 save percentage it's a shame that he didn't get the w in this one but honestly anton he played pretty great in this game against tampa bay yeah yep. He might have gotten the W if uh, Vasilevsky didn't play better. That's it. Yeah. Honestly, I think the Sens, one thing I was really noticing was that they were firing it right at him, and they're firing right into his chest. If they tried to go top shelf or whatever, they could have had a chance. But honestly, when you're shooting it directly at him, and he's just standing there, and he's like, just hits him. He's like, oh. Yeah, well, Vasilevsky's also massive, right? True. So it's yeah. very difficult to get around him. And that, that is like, add that plus his athleticism and his elite positioning you're not getting a lot of opportunities to not shoot it right at the crest or his massive pads. Yeah. Because he's just a big dude. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Honestly. Yeah. That's one of the comments I saw on social media, but I have to kind of agree with that, but no, you guys make a really good point. So. You know, who was fantastic again, this game, Tim Stutzla, just watching him dance around Steven Stamkos almost at will was frightening it's good this kid's 19 yeah keep that in mind this kid is 19 years old and he's doing this it won't be cheap oh god no oh god no. do you guys think he's gonna get a barkoff deal where he gets 10 mil easy and the other team maybe i don't know we'll have to see where this goes uh yeah. Although Ottawa's been pretty good at locking up their key pieces long term for good value. Like Brady, I think Brady Kachuk at eight is good value. Lately, I guess. Batherson at five. Just like, okay, well, that I don't know how we got that, but Shabbat we'll take at it. eight. Shabbat at eight is incredible. The only real miss so far has been Colin White at six, but that's because Colin, sorry, Colin White at five. Yeah, Colin White at five and a half. But that's just because Colin White's been injured all the time. Yeah. Honestly, I think Josh Norris, that kid is going to be pretty, yes. pretty big time. He's going to get paid. Him and Timmy. Oh, my good Lord. That's going to be not 20 million. It's going to be about 18 right there. 19 mil between the two. Best line in the Eastern Conference. I'll say it. Yeah. Oh, we're, you know what? We're going to talk about it right here, right now. Sens versus Flyers. This is a four to three Flyers overtime victory. Sens goes to score by Tim Alex Formanton and Artem Zub. Flyers goes to score by future Ottawa Senator Claude Giroux, Oscar Lindbaum, Joel Farbury, and Travis Sanheim in overtime. Shots were 38 31 for Philadelphia. 
Claude Giroux opens the scoring to make it one nothing Philadelphia. Oscar Limbaum scores to make it two nothing on a slap shot from the point. Timmy Stutzla gets Otto on the board to make it two one after getting a pass from Formanton and putting it top shelf. Alex Formanton ties the game at two, stripping the Flyers defenseman and sliding it home. Anton Zub scores to make it three two. Joel Farbury ties the game at three, and Travis Sanheim pots at top shelf to give Philadelphia the W in overtime. So I had to condense watch this because we're doing the grad party for last night. And once I got home, I was just like, look, I'm too tired to watch this game. But before we get to any players, anything like that, for the first time, the Ottawa Senators played a primetime hockey night in Canada Saturday night game that did not feature the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens. First time ever the Senators had that slot all for themselves. I don't know how you guys feel. As a Senators fan, I don't think I have ever been so offended by how little they talked about the Sens. Oh yeah, you here's you could tell they knew shit all. And then they spent all of it talking to a doctor about COVID who wasn't even a federal official. Here's the thing. Okay. Now, it's not like the panel had nothing to talk about. When you were given five players who are fantastic right now, you've got the B and B line, who's the best top line of the Canadian teams right now, a 19-year-old German kid who is electric on the ice and Tim and Thomas Shabbat, who is the best defenseman right now. Nobody's talking about how little they talked about it. It's not like we're not giving them anything to talk about. Oh, but Thomas Shabbat has one bad period and Kevin Bieksa has to railroad him. Now here's the thing. I'm of the belief that when it comes to Kevin Bieksa, when he makes a good point, I will give him that. He does make a good point, and you can see understand why. When Kevin Bieksa openly admits on national TV he does not watch the Senators and he decides to railroad Shabbat after one bad period, that is an absolute joke. Yep. Because Bieksa is good at the X and O stuff. But yeah, when it goes to like general opinions, it's, it's, it doesn't work. Like BX is very good at breaking down plays. Like actually very good at it. However, yeah, when he doesn't watch a team and then just decides, oh yeah, Shabbat shit. It's just like, okay, buddy. And then Shabbat shoves BX's words down his mouth in the next period. Like Philly gets fucking stuffed for two periods in a row. You know, it's, we tend to, we have to admit here a little bit, I think. We can be honest with ourselves as Sens fans that we are often, you know, we don't like, we are the little, we're the little sibling, mm-hmm. right? And we talk about it constantly. And a lot of the time it is jokes, right? We, we joke about Toronto media ignoring us and we joke about this and we joke about that. But the, the stuff last night was exactly what it is. It, it's exactly what we're talking about. And I think I even tweeted about that. It's exactly what we were talking about. I mean, I made the one point in response to, um, I don't know if you saw it, the road guy who congratulated the Sens on finally getting a 7 p.m. hockey net in Canada spot. And I said, like, we 
we needed a, a global pandemic to make that happen. Yep. Right. Like that, that was sort of meant to be funny, but it isn't. And then uh, I'll give a shout out to James Creighton, who's, who said uh, in response to that same tweet from the road guy, normally we have to wait until April to get those time slots, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty, which is pretty good. But yeah, just absolute nonsense. They don't talk about the only game that's on except the shit on the team. Um, it's it's tiring, and the trope exists for a reason, right? Like, it's, it's I, and hopefully more people have seen that that they they had to act. It was an active decision. It wasn't something that they oh we made a mistake. They decided not to talk about the sense in a sense game. Like that's what that's what it came down to. And honestly, this is one of those things that I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing, but just watching Sen's Twitter completely melt down about this is something that, and I get it, Sen's Twitter can be very overreacting at times. I think this is one of the times where they perfectly nailed it with just the reactions of the fan base where we finally get a game and the panel doesn't care. It's just like, oh, okay, I guess we got to talk about this team now. And it's just like... That's absolutely so insulting to the fans who, and you're absolutely right. The fact that we got a, we had to get a global pandemic for us to get that primetime spot. But one comment, and you mentioned with James Crichton, I got to give a shout out to Steve Warren, former, I think he used to, he worked for TSN for a number of years. He yep. made a, he put up the video of Marion hosted dancing around Kevin BX. And he's like, yeah, I'm not an expert or anything. And I hardly watch him. And here's Kevin BX's one play that we're going to completely ruin is his entire career on yep. and i laugh so hard i'm just like that's amazing but you know what i just again i tend to always i, I agree with kevin bx when he makes a really good comment because i can see where he's coming from but when you watch a guy and then you again I'm, I'm repeating myself here but it's like he just openly admitted to it he's like yeah i don't care i don't watch this team that was kind of the attitude he has and even like you saw from like sends talk and all these people on twitter and they're going this is a joke like how are you serious right now about this well here's the thing this wouldn't have happened on coach's corner like don cherry said some dumb shit in his career yep but grapes would at least have something to say about the game on the tv and other games around the league Mm -hmm. like if sportsnet can't even surpass grapes on his last legs <laughs> what the yeah. fuck should, why the fuck should i give a shit like seriously i i had them on mute it was that bad you know what i think it's games like this that really makes the fans truly appreciate how great gord miller and jamie mcclain are for tsn5 and the tsn panel like the tsn panel is they're great now, of course, obviously, it's a regional broadcast for TSN5. It's not a national broadcast. But you know what? I think if you had more of that, because at least with like the TSN5 panel, at least they're not openly saying, yeah, we only watch the Sens and nobody else. They watch the games around the league. They kind of can make points. And say what you will, but honestly, I, I don't want to repeat myself here. But again, I'm just, I can't believe just how deeply insulting this is to watch this. And, and now people are seeing like, this is what we've been talking about for all these years. It makes, it makes me angry. Now I'm, now I'm in a bad mood. When you're in the end of the podcast and look what you've done. Got me heated. Let's just think about James Duffy. He's a okay. very good host. I 
like yeah. James Duffy. And he's also a guy from Ottawa too. I think, I think yeah, it's for sure. I think his mom and dad are like big sense fans if I'm not mistaken. So Good. he good. would be great for the podcast Tim. we should maybe try and get him sometime. Yeah. So let's talk about some players. Now, of course, let's talk about Tim Stutzla. One goal on three shots. I still cannot believe that kid had such a perfectly placed shot on a weird angle. Because he's on his left leg kind of turning as he gets the shot off. But I think it's hilarious. So it that- is this goal I was referring to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the Rasp- but Rasmus Brusto line in. Just basically stood there and just like, okay, yeah, you can just go skate right past me. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, he did the Risto special. Yeah. This is not, you know, yeah, this is exactly what Philadelphia gave up a first round pick for, for me to to watch a 19 year old German kid from a country that's dominant in every sport that isn't hockey go right around me. So now I do want to talk about his line mate, Alex Formanton. One goal, one assist for two points on two shots. Now, what I'm really appreciating about Alex Formanton, especially in these last couple of games, is that you're really seeing that there's a lot of chemistry between him and Tim Stutzla. That's really great to see, especially because, again, Stutzla, there was some kind of iffiness. Is he going to be great at center? Is he not going to be great at center? And I think he's t- transitioning so well into being a centerman and Formanton on the wing. If they had, say, an Anthony Duclair or somebody on the right side, imagine how oh, good how good that second line would be. Even Claude Giroux. Yeah. yeah Man. To... Go ahead. It's going to be so good. Well, Formanton is just so damn fast. And it, it looks... Remember when Ryan Dezingle found his hands? Nope. <laughs> oh. Wow. This looks like Ryan Dezingle finding his hands. Like We knew Formanton had the speed. We knew Formanton has the hockey IQ. You just couldn't put it in the damn net. It's, it's going in the net. And like he scores such timely goals, too. It's, it's actually incredible. And it's funny because he must be, either him or Stutzla, they got to be the fastest guy in the team. Because Alex Formanton, he gets the puck at two strides. He's, he's gone. Like Defensemen aren't catching him. And it's great to see, man. Like, it, it really is. It really is great to see. And honestly, if they had a great right winger with them, that top six. Yeah, it would, be, it would be something. I have to eat my words. I, I tweeted out, a, I'm tired of, I'm getting tired of the Formanton experiment. I said that in the middle of our slide. And uh, it doesn't exist anymore. So there's no evidence of it other than the submission. <laughs> Unless somebody archived it. Yeah, that's true. Somebody might have that on me. But yeah, I mean... Nobody was playing well, and I got a little bit uh, – I got negative. See? I got negative, and uh, it, it came back to bit, came back to bite me because mm. the kid's – yeah, he's, he's fast, and if he gets his hands – I would much rather him be a Dezingle than a Condra, which is sort of what he was turning into there. Breakaways every period but never finishing. Yeah, I like Formington. I, I, I didn't say I didn't like him, but I like him. And, yeah, with a Duclair on the side – or Giroux. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a second pair. Yeah. Pair. Or even if Shane, or even if Shane Pinto comes back and they put Stutzlaw in right wing. Or the flip-flop Formanton and Stutzlaw. Could be a decent line. Yeah. I don't know. I'm really liking Stutzla at center. Me too. Yeah, me too. But I'm just thinking like could you just imagine Ottawa's center depth of Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla, Shane Pinto? It kind of reminds me of Crosby, Malkin, and 
Jordan Stahl when That's Pittsburgh sick. had that really deep center line. Now, who are you comparing to Crosby here? Go on the record. Who is it? Who is as good as Crosby? Probably Stutzla. Okay. Like Stutzla Crosby, like Stutzla Crosby, Norris Malkin. Although Norris is actually elite defensively. I fucking love it. Good kid. So the last guy I want to talk about here, and he didn't register any points in this game, but Thomas Shabbat with four shots. This number sticks out. 35 minutes and 34 seconds. That's unacceptable. (laughs) I thought we were done with overplaying Thomas Shabbat in games. Yep. And it showed in the overtime. Yeah. Well, I think DJ Smith has soured on Dylan Hetherington. Six minutes. Yeah, he's probably right. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Shouldn't be happening. He can't be him. He can't be effective those minutes. No, 36 is ridiculous. You're playing over half the hockey game. You can't do that. Like, and here's the thing the other games this week weren't as bad. Like the Florida game, Shabbat played 21 minutes. The Tampa game, Shabbat was under 25 again. Like he was playing normal minutes. It's just this one where it was like, well, you see, Thomas. You skate. So you drop. Yeah. So the last comment I really want to make on this game, guys, and it has to do with the flyer jerseys, because I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't like those Philadelphia jerseys. I don't like, I like black jerseys in general. The orange is fine, but it's just so meh. You just kind of look at it and it just doesn't, it leaves no impression other than this is such a, just so lazy. Just go to the classic Jersey. I I don't know. Do you like our black 2Ds? Yes. Love the black. There's a difference though, James. That's the difference because honestly, the black 2D is black and red. Black and red looks so good. Black and orange. One, I hate orange on sports jerseys, number one. I think it's a terrible color. But honestly, if you have black and orange, it needs white. It needs a white stripe. It needs something to really pop the orange. Because honestly, if it's just black and orange, it doesn't look good. It just looks boring. It looks lazy. But even the nameplate, that's just, what is it? Just orange with black lettering on it? See, I kind of like the nameplate. <laughs> I, I have to admit it. Um, I, I get what you're saying with the orange. But I, I kind of, I've always liked that they did the uh, the block color nameplate because they do that on their aways as well, don't they? They have a, a colored nameplate with the. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I've always, I've always kind of liked that. Although it does feel like a novice team who had to do it themselves at home, you know. Back in minor hockey, when you when yep. you ordered your tapes, yeah, that's what it feels like. But but maybe that's what it is. It's the nostalgia for me. <laughs> Maybe because honestly, if you if you guys remember back in the early two thousand late nineties or two thousands, Philadelphia had the black, black, orange, and white jerseys. To me, and I I hate the Philadelphia orange jerseys. I think there's what you don't like the creamsicle. I hate the creamsicle jersey. Oh, I love the creamsicle. Terrible. It pops so nicely. No, terrible, terrible jersey. But honestly, I'm a fan of the black, orange, and white. Like when Jeremy Roenick and Keith Primo, those guys are playing for the Flyers in the early 2000s. That's the jersey I think of when I think of the Flyers. Sure, the orange, yeah. I get it. It's so iconic with Philadelphia, but not a fan. Not a fan of it. 
Gotcha. So, guys, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you want to head off into the close for another episode. That Zoob goal was sick. Any Zoob goal. And all Zoob goals are, <laughs> all zoob all zoob goals. Goals are valid. <laughs> yeah. I do want to make one comment here because hopefully Sends a Canucks game is happening here in a couple of weeks. I've already told Tim, but I'll let you know, James, that I plan on going to the game. I'm going to have a sign that says Zoob. There it is. Perfect. In a reference yeah. to the Bruce, there it is. I think that's just yeah. so good. That's excellent. Uh, I'm going to hopefully if the Calgary game goes ahead. And uh, so my wife and I are going to go and we're going to have two signs. Mine's going to have a Z and a bunch of U's and hers is going to have a bunch of U's and then a B. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. You need to, okay. You need to, you need to text me that shit. Yeah. yeah that'll blow up. 100%. Yeah. So James, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule today to join us for our Christmas episode. Now, before we head off into the close, for some of our listeners who may not follow you on social media, where can they find you on Twitter? Pretty simple. It's my name, James Wood, one word with capital J, capital W, and double underscores on both sides. So double underscore James Wood, double underscore. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, SenseCast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I, Love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plugs, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, G R 8 W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to give some feedback on James Wood being our guest co host for this episode, shoot us an email, Third Plus Sense at Gmail. Nice. Now, Tim, unfortunately, this would be the time of the episode where we talk about, we got some games to talk about for the next week. Bruce Garriock just came out and announced all the games this week have been postponed. That's lame. It's going to, yeah. So it's going to be a short episode next week when you're in the Great White Studio here. Oh, that we finally settled on the Great White Studio is the name? Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, it's going to be good, man. I'm really looking forward to have you back in studio, Tim. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo!